saying that, uh, Rosemary is going to put up this bit of scripture on the, on the screen. But if you have a Bible close by, um, I'd encourage you to grab it and be reading this as we go through. Um, one thing I'm, there's lots of things I'm good at. One thing I'm not good at is doing stuff with um, what PowerPoint. That's it. That that stuff. That's that's not what I'm good at. Um, I'm. Preaching is something that really stretches me. I am, I am, every time I start getting into God's Word and preparing for a sermon, it just gets deeper and deeper and I get more and more stuff going on in my head. And I hope tonight as we go through God's words, that it's simple um, and it's helpful hopefully. Um, Peter, um, who wrote this, um, was a pretty simple guy. He was a fisherman. He was a guy who um, quite often just blurted out the weirdest of stuff in front of Jesus. And I remember one occasion, um, uh, I can't even remember what I was saying, but Jesus said to him, Satan, get behind me. And Peter was also the one who actually um, said that he would stand by Jesus no matter what happened. And he's the one who denied Jesus three times after he said that. Peter's also the one who Jesus appeared to after um, Jesus rose again and um, met by the lake with Peter and um, he's the one that three times he said to him, feed my sheep. And when I start thinking about what we're looking at tonight, it's exactly what Peter's trying to do when he's actually... Um, sharing this bit of scripture is he's, he's trying to feed us in a way that's helpful and spurs us on to be committed to God's word and spurs us on to be committed to Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So when we're delving into this, um, I want you to sort of get a heart for what Peter's trying to express to us. He's trying to express that he wants us to see what Jesus Christ has done clearly he wants us to see the power and authority that Jesus has and especially if we hand our lives over to him, what a difference that can make in our lives. He wants us to be encouraged and built up enthusiastic especially about his word and holding on to the importance of the intricacies of his word and the importance about standing by it in a way that's helpful to us. Okay, um, so um, in chapter 1, I'm going to start reading. I'm reading out heaps more than Andy gave to me because it sort of needs it to actually build what um, is actually going on. Um, so he wants us to be, um, I guess, inspired um, by a life that's following Jesus Christ, by following his word. And in chapter 2 he goes on to warning us of the consequences of not doing that. Um, So hopefully as um, we go through these verses, that's helpful. Now I'm I'm actually taking off a little bit of inspiration from Lillian this morning. I've noticed that Lillian has these little cards. And I'm going to go with the same thing because when I have heaps of pages, I get lost and it, it it isn't helpful for me. So let's start reading to start off with. Um, So we're looking at um, 2 Peter, chapter 1, 
um, starting at verse 3. And there it is. Look at that. So I'm just going to read to um, chapter 9. Oh no, I'll read to chapter 4 to start, uh, verse 4, sorry, to start off with. Chapter 9. There's not even that many chapters in Peter 2. So. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may practice, uh, sorry, p- participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Um, the first thing I want you to notice is it starts off by saying that we're actually chosen by God. Now when you think about that, um, straight away you start thinking to yourself, well, I'm... I didn't actually choose God, he actually chose me. Conviction actually came on us as um, a consequence of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit reveals God to us and ultimately it's God that puts that in place. He's actually chosen us. Okay? The next thing as a consequence of being chosen by God, we're actually um, given power. And it says this, and through these he has given us very great and precious, uh, sorry, go back one, where are we? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. When we're actually chosen by God and we hand our lives over to Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, we receive a power and authority from God. Now, that power and authority is um, something that um, is, uh, I, I guess, something that we should be seeking after in our relationship with God. It's something that exists. Um, it's something that um, we can learn to understand in our journey with Jesus Christ. And a bit of scripture that really um, has been something that um, I guess I lean into over and over again is a bit of scripture from Ephesians chapter 1 which says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which is exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. So there's this power and authority that comes on our lives as because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. As we accept him as Lord and Saviour, as we start seeking him, as we start following him, there's a power and authority that comes in our lives. Now thinking about this bit of scripture, remembering that Jesus wants the best for us, um, remembering that Peter in this bit of scripture is trying to build us up and I am 
encourages along to stand in the faith. Um, he goes on to say this, and so starting at verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten and what he has been, that he has been cleansed from his past sins. So, a couple of things that um, come to mind in here. Um, with everything that we've got, Peter's encouraging us to be passionate about our faith. So, you have this process of things. So, the first thing on the list is goodness. Now, when we're actually reading these things, I, I think that Peter's actually written them in a way where he wants us to see them as like building blocks. Okay? So, it's like step one. Um, do good things. Have goodness in your heart. Love people around you. Um, have a desire to want the best for them. Um, step two, look for knowledge. Understand um, what it is that we're, who it is that we're following, the things that we're supposed to be doing as far as our faith is concerned. Step three, self-control. When you actually discover these things that God is teaching you, actually put them in place. A lot of the time um, God actually gives us direction and I guess you could say commands even. And um, if you've got the knowledge of what that is, um, it means that you have to have the self-control to start putting those things in place. <coughs> then we're encouraged to have perseverance. To not give up and keep on doing that thing. To have godliness. Now, it seems to me that if you're heading down this track, that godliness is actually going to start becoming part of your life. Brotherly kindness is something that's going to start becoming part of your life. Love is something that's going to start becoming part of your life. It's a process of things that should be um, coming out as a consequence of our, our, our faith with Jesus Christ. We should be wanting to desire these things. <clears throat> with that, and with most scripture, when God asks us to act in a particular way, promise comes. And I love the promises that God gives. And this is another one in verse 8. It says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective, unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
God wants us to grow. God wants us to have good things. God wants the best for us. Saying in here, as a promise, this is the first promise, there's a couple more to come, that one of the things that we'll um, gain is actually that um, uh, blessing, I guess, of being an effective Christian. Effective in our own lives, because we'll see the blessing of what God's doing in our own lives, but effective in the fact that we get to um, share our journey with other, other people, other Christians, when we come together. Um, people will see that we're different um, because we trust what Scripture says, we follow what Scripture says. means that you actually um, will be a Christian um, that people will point out and say, well, they're a real Christian. Because as we see when we get into chapter 2, there are people who are perverse in how they see their faith. <coughs> There's also a little bit of a warning that comes there. So if we read verse 9, it says, But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. So just a little bit of a warning in there. So verse 10 onwards says this. And again, another promise. Okay? Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail. Oh, never fall, sorry. This is the same, meaning the same thing. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus, our Saviour Jesus Christ. Another promise. If you're hanging on to these things, if you're trying to follow God, that there's another promise that we will spend eternity with Christ and that will never fall because we're persevering, because we have self-control, because we're seeking out knowledge um, and um, blessings come as a consequence of all those things. goes on to say this, um, so verse 12, it says, so this is Peter speaking, so Peter's, um, it's, it's like he's um, almost like a, um, a, a dog with a bone almost, I guess. He wants us to realise that he's um, trying to encourage his son with everything he's got, Okay. It says, so I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth, you now have. Now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So he's clearly saying to them that I want you to get this. Um, I want you um, to be absolutely 100% clear that I'm telling you these things because I want the best for you. Now when you think about it, and Peter especially being the one who um, always got distracted and... Um, even when you think about him when he um, 
uh, rejected Jesus three times, um, he had a sense of, um, when he left there, I'm sure, that he failed in, in his journey. And yet, um, he, and, and I guess probably the reason why he actually says that is he wants to spare us on to not make the same mistakes that he did even. Um, that to be absolutely committed to Jesus Christ and what he's done, just keep, keep on going. Verse 16 says this, onwards. Um, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from heaven, from a majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now, this is actually um, a passage of scripture um, in um, actually Matthew, I think, Mark, and possibly John as well. I am talking about the transfiguration. So um, Jesus takes, I think it's Peter, um, John and James up the mountain and on the top of the mountain um, it says Jesus was transformed in his, in, his, in his look. So his clothes started shining, glowing. It's like almost a picture of the angels that we see in movies and cartoons and all the rest of it. That um, Moses and Elijah appeared and Peter um, is just blown away by everything that's going on. Peter says to Jesus, oh, this is great. I'm going to build a house here and shelters for each, uh, shelters for each of you guys. And, um, and Jesus tells him not to do that, obviously. And then this voice from heaven comes down. Now, if you imagine you're Peter, first of all, Jesus changing his appearance would be then on top of that, um, Elijah and Moses turn up. Whoa. Then on top of that, God speaks. This booming, well, I imagine it would be a booming voice. It doesn't actually say a booming voice. It's just it's this voice from heaven. It says that um, Peter and the other disciples just fell on their face. They were blown away. And Peter's saying to um, the church here and to us, we were there when we saw that happen. We were there. I know this is the truth because I was there when I saw that happen. Peter was there when Jesus died on the cross. Peter was there when Jesus did these miraculous things. Peter was there when Jesus spoke. He's saying to us, I saw these things happen. I know this is the truth. This stuff blew his mind. Goes on to say this. So verse 19. And we have heard the word the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the dawn 
and the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, he's starting to step back a bit. He's starting to think about the, um, the scriptures that have already been written. So, um, Peter's educated in, in some of the old scriptures and he's saying that the prophecies that you've seen in scripture, the things that you've seen taught in the past, they're trustworthy and true. These things are things that are inspired by God through the Holy Spirit um, in the lives of the people that shared them. Just the same as Peter is actually sharing what he has seen and testifying to. That what happened in the past is trustworthy and true. When we start looking at Scripture and delving into Scripture, you can see those things. I mean, when um, the prophets... Um, talk about the coming of Jesus Christ. It, for me, it just blows my mind to think that hundreds of years beforehand, these prophets actually knew that this was going to happen. And that's just one simple example. Um, when you look at, say, what Moses did, um, no, Moses was not exactly the most um, enthusiastic um, prophet as such. Um, Moses when he was standing in front of a burning bush and God speaking to him, said, choose somebody else, don't choose me, this is not what I want to do. Yet, he went about doing it. Now, I don't know where you would stand today if God approached you like that. I tell you, as far as preaching is concerned, this is way down my list of things that I feel comfortable with. I could lead worship all day. Um, I could cook for hundreds of people, which I do do all the time. Those things, sort of things don't face me. Preaching is something that stretches me. But you've got to love God's word, don't you? When you start delving into it and just seeing how inspirational God's word is. Now, I've got a list, of, which I've got to find, because already... This um, card thing doesn't work for me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard because for me my head doesn't work like that. I'm not academic. I'm not... I, I speak with my heart, basically is what I'm saying. Anyway, when I'm going through this stuff, okay, I, I just want to put together this list of things that this passage basically encourages us in. Okay? And the reason I want to do that is because when we get to chapter 2, um, chapter 2 takes a totally different tone of what's going on. Okay? And because it's heading into a totally different tone, I want to set us up for what um, Peter's actually just been saying to us. Okay? And it's important that you grasp these things because... Whether we like it or not, each one of us has failures, each one of us has sin in our lives, each one of us is in a process of dealing with stuff 
on an ongoing basis and we'll be doing it for the rest of our lives. I've been a Christian for more than half my life and God still challenges me about stuff in my life. Okay? So these are the things that he wants us to focus on. He wants us to focus on the things that Christ has done for us already. We are set free people because Jesus died on the cross for us. And if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, he's given you power and authority in this world. We're chosen by God, set apart by God. God sees you as being special. As I said, we're given power and authority. We're given promises. Now, the promises that we're given, they're like little carrots, okay? Ultimately, they're there to spur us on in this journey. Now, when you think about this world, okay, this world, particularly if you watch adverts and and all that sort of thing, or even listen to um, sometimes your friends and their attitudes to life and that sort of thing, they give you all these promises all the time. So if you're watching an advert, they'll say, if you buy this car, um, you'll attract this beautiful woman or this handsome guy. Um, but there's a lot more girls driving cars in adverts these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's a, it's a new thing. It used to be the opposite way around. It was always the guy driving the car and the beautiful broad sitting next to him. Anyway. Um, if you buy Lynx, for example, these girls are going to follow you. Good plan. Um, if you buy the right hair products, automatically your hair is just magnificent. <laughs> just happens just like that. All these promises it gets deeper than that if you start um, talking about sexuality and even start looking at the world now in uh, sexual views and you start thinking about um, marriage equality um, that um, we're trying to gain in Australia and around the world etc all these promises go with that. All these extra freedoms you're going to get because of all these promises. So the world approaches us with that stuff all the time. Counteracting that, when you look at God's word, um, God gives us promises as well. Interestingly enough, when you look at God's promises, one of the things he actually says about um, his promises and what he's done for us dying on the cross is that we'll be given freedom. Now, that freedom is something that is really important to us as Christians. One of the things that happens with a lot of the promises that the world gives us is that they actually start binding us up. And this is the danger and the difference between following what the world says is good and following what Jesus Christ says is good and what God says is good. 
God actually wants the best for us. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be loved by other people. He wants us to have the ability to understand and have the ability to love other people. He wants us to understand him and especially how much he deeply loves us. He wants us to be set free. He wants us to have a future. Another good thing about this bit of scripture when um, you're looking at it is as a follower of Jesus Christ we actually have direction. We're actually given some tools to actually help us go forward. We're given assurance when you start looking at the promise of what we have in the future. That assurance when you read this bit of scripture that says if you do these things you will never fall. What an amazing promise. We're assured that we can trust his word. All things that we can just... When you think that bit of scripture right at the beginning it was we have power as a consequence of what Jesus Christ did for us. It's because of all those other things that come after it as a consequence of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you. I would like all those things. Anybody else want those things on their list? Worthwhile standing on all those things, trusting God's word, pursuing it with everything that you've got and I can tell you that in my journey as a Christian every time I fail to start I fail to do these things things start to get a little bit messy a little bit clouded when I trust these things and I follow God everything seems to fall into place even when I, you wouldn't believe how messy my life is. Not messy my life is. How um, there's a lot of complicated stuff going on for me at the moment, and I'm not at liberty to share any of that. But the, the fantastic thing about being a Christian is that I can see God at work in the midst of everything that's happening, and I see these little glimpses that oh, God's got that under control. I don't have to worry about that. Oh, God keeps providing for me. Um, God reassures me all the time through his word. He reassures me in the things I see going on around me all the time. And it's because I, I trust what God's word says. I, I know that the answer, for example... That is when things seem so messed up, it's unbelievable that if I trust him, he's going to sort it out. I just have to hand it over and just walk with him. I know that, one, because I keep on doing it, but the other is because I keep seeing God at work in my life. And 
if there's anything I was going to encourage you to do, is it's just to keep persevering, just to keep trusting, keep on looking at his word, keep on building yourself up, all those things. Okay? Keep on hanging on to promises. That's the carrot we're hanging on to. Okay? So don't follow the carrot of the world. Okay? Look at the promises of God and hang on to those carrots. Okay? Those are the ones that we're seeking after as God's people. Okay, chapter 2. Let's delve into it. Um, there it is. I'm just going to read straight down to verse 10 and we're not going to spend too much time in this but I just want you to see some of the warnings and everything that's going on here. Okay. But there will also be false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, uh, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways, and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Dis, 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 That's it. I just had to read that to actually understand what I was saying. I said I'm not academic. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories and they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons and to be held for judgment, and if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected Noah and... um, um, a preacher of righteousness and seven others and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example what is going to happen to the ungodly and if he rescued Lot a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. And if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow corrupt desires and um, desires of the sinful nature and despised authority. Now in the NLT, just there, um, when it says this is especially true of those who follow corrupt desires, it actually um, says um, sexual um, desires. And interestingly enough, um, when you look at um, the time of Noah, um, it talks a lot about their sexuality and the way they acted. And Sodom and Gomorrah, um, similar again, Sodom and Gomorrah um, it talks about their sexual sin and homosexuality and, and so on and so forth. Um, so there's this um, view overall of ungodliness 
and the, what that was perceived at. At the beginning of this, it, it, again, in the NLT version, it, um, it talks about um, sexual sin and also greed, um, the process of actually following um, worldly desires and wanting, say, money or things or, or whatever. It's just that desire for wanting things for yourself. Now, I just want to read um, just a couple of verses because the whole of chapter 2 is this, this big warning. Um, so when I go through, I'm just going to read a couple of the warnings of the consequences of heading in this direction. So if you look at the second part of verse 1, it says this. It says they will secret, um, secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, and uh, sorry, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, and bringing swift destruction on themselves. So the consequence that they're being bringing destruction on themselves. But further down on the second half of verse three, it says, "Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping." So again, just this warning that destruction is coming their way. A little bit further down there, it talks about the angels and the fact that even for angels who obviously know God, know who he is, that they were condemned as a consequence of rejecting him. That, um, and so obviously there's angels that continue to follow God, um, but the angels who um, stepped away from following God heading to destruction. Verse 12, it says this, But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. So again, they will perish. Verse 17, These men are springs without water, Misdriven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. I don't know about you. I don't want to be in their place. There's that warning that following God in his ways and actually trusting it, put it in place in our lives, persevering in it, all those things that we were talking about before, taking it as, as truth, not twisting it, relying on it. We're, we're called to do all those things. If we don't, unbelievable warnings about the consequence of doing that. Just to finish off with, I'm just going to read the last part of chapter 2. So verse 21, and I don't know, I, I didn't give you that, did I? So if you've got it handy in your Bibles, look at verse 21. It says this, this is again for these people who act in this way. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs 
on the sacred command that was passed on to them. So just thinking, these people were people who actually had an opportunity to see Christ as Lord and Saviour, actually saw who he was and rejected him. And when you think about it, Satan and his angels that follow him, they were included in that. These angels actually saw who Jesus was, saw who God was and chose to do their thing. It goes on to say, I'll finish there, um, of them, the Proverbs are true, a dog returns to its vomit and so that it was, uh, so, it, so that is washed as thou, sorry, as <laughs> thou, that is washed, goes back to her wallowing in the mud. I don't know about you, but I find when I look at stuff like that, that it challenges me no end to be persistent in my faith and to trust what scripture actually says and to stand by it and to love it. Love it because literally God absolutely 100% wants the best for us. He's a father that loves us perfectly. And the thing is that, I mean in the world, it promises all these things that we get as a consequence of doing this or that or buying this or buying that or chasing after this or chasing after that promises so much but I don't know about you but I find that most of the time where, when I make the mistake of heading in this direction that's futile so as a classic example something I like um, is I, I like driving a pristine nice car I like it I like it a lot even when I was a youngster on my pea plates, I had this red van and, and I would polish it, and I mean polish it, I don't mean just wash it, I would polish it twice a week. I'd blacken all the tyres, you could see the diff across the back of the car and the fuel tank and I would actually get underneath and I'd paint that black and I'd paint the fuel tank because I wanted it to look pristine. They don't stay that way. so many years down the track, I still like to clean my car and I like to drive a nice clean car. But I've discovered that it's all futile. That I have a number of vehicles now and they just annoy the heck out of me. Just this week, it's cost me a fortune just to get one of them back on the road because the gearbox blew up. So annoying. It's just, it's meaningless. It means nothing. There's so much you can chase after in this world and seriously, most of it means nothing. And particularly if it's the world that's telling you that this is the thing for you. In the Old Testament, <laughs> um, King Solomon says, it's all a chasing after the sun. Nothing's new. 
even when you're looking at the bit of scripture we're looking at tonight, just think about what it's saying in chapter 2 there about sexual sin. Is there anything new? We're talking 2000, almost 2,000 years ago. When you go back into the Old Testament and you're thinking about Sodom and Gomorrah and um, Noah, you're going right back to the beginning of time. Nothing is new about sexual sin. Should we as a church have a different attitude now? Has anything changed for us that was different for Peter or was different for um, Noah? Are we supposed to change? Has God changed? We need to stand firm in the word. Because like I said, God wants the best for us. We need to stand in that. God actually went to the point of sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And we're going to take our communion and we're reminded again about how much Jesus Christ loves us, how much he wants the best for us. He died on the cross for us. He actually chose to do that for us, for you. What a reminder after looking at a bit of scripture that we've been looking at to actually be willing to hand ourselves over to him afresh and say, Lord, forgive me for the stuff that I do wrong. Forgive me for my just getting lost in following my ways, the, the things that I want to do. But Lord, I want to recommit myself to you and following your ways with everything I've got. Lord, I want to have perseverance in my life. I want to have knowledge to know you better. I want to see your kingdom come in my life. I want to be a demonstration of your love to other people. I'm determined not to fall 